Over the past few weeks, the Chiefs has profiled the best in show in the travel and hospitality industry. As the year rolls on, we'll be making a return to the world of transport. But for now, we head to Modena to meet the CEO of Maserati, Davide Grasso, for the final installation of the series. When he took the helm of Maserati in 2019, Grasso was no stranger to leading a company with a focus on mobility and high performance. Having spent over 20 years in various roles at Nike, eventually leading the Converse brand, Grasso is well-versed in the art of global brand management and knows rather a lot about how the modern consumer wants to go from A to B. In our conversation, we discuss Grasso's path to Maserati, as well as the broader big questions the automobile industry is currently wrestling with. How do you go electric and stay true to your brand? As our cities go greener, is a smaller vehicle the real key? Plus, we conduct a health check on the state of the Italian luxury market. I'm Tyler Brule in Zurich, and this is The Chiefs on Monocle 24. Davide, fantastic to talk to you on an absolutely glorious uh, spring morning. Let's start maybe where we met. I met this Italian uh, gentleman. You had uh, come over from Portland. You were working at at Nike. And and now here we find you uh, today down in Modena. And you could sort of say maybe, you know, Nike is a bit of a mobility company. A lot of their business has to do with getting people from A to B in performance, albeit in a somewhat analog way. You've now arrived at Maserati. I'm just wondering the attraction, I mean, aside of returning to your, your homeland and going back to Italy, but the attraction of a company like this, one which is at the center of premium, is at the center of luxury, and we think about mobility. But I, I'm really interested about that jump, that shift from Portland to Modena and what you found when you got to Italy. Oh, it's a great question. Uh, absolutely, Tyler. And uh, actually, it's interesting um, to observe a couple of things. As you said correctly, both companies are at the epicenter of mobility in some shape or form. Therefore, there are, you know, and mobility is a key element of human nature, right? Like the idea of also socialization and communicating. So, um, you know, there's a, a lot of connecting points between the two brands and the two companies and the two areas actually for humans, so to speak. So actually having lived within Nike for a quarter of a century and now about two years with Maserati, there's a strong element. You'd be surprised on how much designers and product developers at Nike or in sports industry are looking at uh, at designs and materials of cars in automotive, as well as uh, now automotive brands are looking at um, other areas adjacent, if you will, to automotive that used to be a more insular type of industry for sources of inspiration. And if you know, if you talk about the two specific brands that uh, I've had the privilege to be part of, the role of innovation, the role of design and style, the role of performance actually are at the epicenter of the values of the two respective brands. So there's a lot of uh, similarities in the way the DNA of the brand interacts with the environment they're part of. Davide, one uh, little secret that we shared, and I think I've probably said it to our listeners, or I didn't say it to our listeners, I, I certainly said it to our staff. The one thing I found when you were at Nike, I was surprised to find that there was a bit of a secret Italian design mafia in Portland. It was incredible that there was this little group that was there that was guiding a lot of marketing, was guiding a lot of, of design. 
Now being back in Modena, now being at the heart of Maserati, what is the tension between you being an Italian brand at a time also when you have to be seen as global? Because I think back to your old company, they've managed that incredibly well, being, of course, American, West Coast, but also being global. But then I think about the core of, of course, just Italian industrial design and Italian approach to marketing luxury. How do you see the tension right now in terms of telling that Italian story, but also making sure that you are relevant and, and resonate in the U.S. as much as Japan? The core of the, of the, of the answer to your great question, Tyler, is what are the timeless and universal factors and drivers that have made Italian approach to design, industrial design in particular, but, but, also, but not only industrial design, you know, so popular? across the centuries and across the globe. And, you know, so this idea of a streamlined, uh, the idea of a kind of an effortless uh, approach to design and functional, but very balanced with, uh, with beauty. These are the, th- the things that are, you know, they worked in both ways. In the past, this, applying this view to Nike creative and brand growth and dimensions, uh, you know, for a company, it's all about performance and streamlining and streamlining, streamlining. It gave some sort of visual and creative language. And that resonated and helped building the brand, which is a truly global brand, American-based and global brand around the world. In a sector where, you know, in an area where, you know, contamination across different cultures is, is really relevant. You know, when you talk about the world of sports or the world of sneakers and, and streetwear as well, if you kind of look at the more sportswear areas of sports performance. Now, when it comes to uh, Maserati, the core of the brand, our brand values are and position is innovative by nature, powered by passion and unique by design. And as you can tell, there's a, a little bit of playing with words because a lot of these words have a double entendre and we can further explain that. But uh, this idea of innovation, uh, this idea of uh, you know uniqueness by design, but also effortless design, and this idea of passion are really at the core of Maserati, but I would say it's at the core, if you think about furniture design, for example, or car design or clothes design, architecture design, Renzo Piano, for example, you can actually see how these values are ingrained in the success of Italian branding, whether it's a car or it's um, it's an architectural firm around the world. I want to come back to, of course, where the brand is going. I want to talk about model lineup. I want to talk about, of course, how you're going to reach a new market, how to, of course, you keep your existing customer base happy. But if you look at Maserati as it stands today, and if you look at the Italian, yeah, let's say premium or, or certainly luxury landscape, what work needs to be done? Because I think a lot of people have said we've been through a cycle, you know, a decade, a decade and a half, some would argue even longer, where we've seen brands uh, extended uh, too much. We've seen whether they're fashion labels, whether they're even furniture labels, have maybe extended into places that they shouldn't be. Do you feel that Italian Luxury Incorporated is in a good place right now, or does it have to move to a new phase, Davide? Does it have to present itself in a different way when you see, of course, China attempting to create uh, luxury brands? I mean, of course, uh, yeah, part of your group has acquired or certainly take a significant interest in in a group in China, albeit in, in the fashion space. So where does it really need to emerge or, or where, where does it need to go right now, do you think? I'm going to answer to your great question, Tyler, in, you know, from two different angles. One is about brand management. Uh, what makes a brand relevant 
and successful over time and space, given we're in a global village. And, uh, you know, for Italian brands or Maserati specifically, and in general, it's, it's about really two things. You know, um, when you talk about brand management, it could become very complicated, but at the end of the day, at its core, there's uh, some simplicity to it. One is understand and be very clear about the values of the brand. What are the roots of the brand and be authentic to them and be real to them to re- avoid risking, you know, bastardizing the brand or diluting the brand to chase new trends or new ways. The other one is then understand your customer, understand who's your consumer. And then it's true for, it would have been true for blockbusters <laughs> as then, you know, Netflix came up and it's true for Maserati or other Italian brands in fashion or other areas. Those, those are the really two core things that, uh, you know, in terms of capabilities that, you know, our teams need to have really a good understanding of that and what moves the brand towards the customer and the customer towards the brand in a, in a consistent way, in a sustained way. Then the other uh, side of you know, to your question is then if we do that, then as a system, then I go back to the Italian brands and companies, how do we then move with the speed and the type of investment capabilities, which vary from industry to industry, that these times and these global villages we're all living in require? And so I think that's, you know, if the first could be an advantage, because inherently Italian brands have deep roots and most of Italian brands understand pretty clearly what are their roots. Getting to understanding the customer, particularly when you talk about the modern luxury consumer, that's a changing world that I I can get back to. But, you know, one of the things that, you know, sometimes with Italian systems is not always working is there's a relative difficulty, which is historical and cultural, to form the mass that, you know, brands need to have to be able to compete and succeed on a global stage. David, let's talk about uh, the customer. Who is who is the customer that you came across? Who is the core base when you arrived uh, two years ago? And I guess probably there's on one side, there's how do you get them to, of course, buy something from the new model lineup? How do you, of course, get them excited to maybe, yeah, of course, just replace uh, you know what they have and and of course and, and maybe also uh, make sure that they become collectors of Maseratis as well. But then, of course, the bigger issue is, is where do you need to go when you see players from all sides, of course, advancing on, of course, talking up sustainability messages, talking up new lineup. Uh, you have uh, players out of Korea saying, we have no heritage whatsoever. We're just going to launch a completely new brand and having no baggage is also a good thing. And we're going to, to focus on design. So you, you have this extraordinary galaxy around you. But let's just go back to who is the customer that you found and, and, and what do you need to do for them to, of course, grow, build and, and innovate? We are focusing on the uh, modern luxury consumer. And, you know, when we talk about modern luxury, it's something that has started developing basically with the, with the turn of the millennium. And that's a great part of the initial work we've done to relaunch the brand is to go back to the roots of uh, in a classic consumer knowledge. And uh, we learned that, you know, we had to know more about our modern luxury customer. First of all, if you look at a classic luxury customer, it kind of was gravitating around external status versus the modern uh, luxury consumer is centered around values. The classic was about ownership. The modern is about authenticity. The classic is more about craftsmanship. The modern is about innovation and craftsmanship applied to innovation. It's more about the experience and it's a much more inclusive and relaxed tone of voice and lifestyle versus a little bit more formal 
uh, and fixed uh, lifestyle and brand identification that the classic consumer had. So if you combine that, you know, and then this is a trend that started again, is, and you can see it in many, many different industries. Hospitality, which is one of your great interests and, in, you know, that I could, you know, follow over time and learn a lot, uh, also through your, you and what you wrote and your research has done about hospitality. It's about furniture, it's about way of living is about food and way of eating, and it's about cars and way of moving, right? And then, of course, you saw probably the most macroscopic movement was in fashion. If you think about, you know, the denim industry in late 90s and now, then the price points and the fact that, and the presence of high-end designers and luxury brand in casual wear, clearly that's driven by an ongoing, irreversible change in the way people dress and how they want to spend their money on dressing you know, in a less formal way, which is reflecting the values that we talked about before. Now, when we apply that to um, the R type of mobility, there's uh, three macro trends that we see and you know, against which we've been building our, our, our strategic and business plan. The first one is the move towards electrification. Uh, which is the answer to actually a higher level of desire that people have, which is more respectful of the environment, which is delivered through electrical engines. The second one is about a different interaction through the digital technology uh, with your car and the driving experience. And it starts from the way you approach your car and you come into, inside the car and the way the car works with you as you drive or you sit in the car, vis-a-vis also other cars and the traffic, which is, you know, the more out of, you know, digital way of driving and self-driving cars. The third, which is um, something that is not often talked about, but is very important to then see where brands and the industry will be going, is the idea of uh, urbanization. If you see Europe is highly urbanized, uh, the U.S. less so. Asia has been going through a tremendous process of urbanizing. So, you know, the use of the car or use the needs for mobility in a big city versus in a small city or, or the countryside are significantly changing. And so that is also driving the type of cars that we are, we're, we're going to be driving, the type of engines we're going to be driving, but also how we're going to be using the car. The car lending type of, uh, car sharing type of initiatives and solutions are going to be affecting differently different people living in different parts of the of a country or a continent. One thing that you, you've been touching on, maybe not directly, but of course, is the speed. And of course, you came out of, of a world where there was just nonstop product innovation, product launches. Of course, the time to market, building a vehicle, developing a vehicle is, of course, is, is considerably longer. But nevertheless, do you find, are, are there quite set codes as to what a Maserati is and is not, what a driver wants and and certainly what, what they don't want? Because you can talk to a lot of auto automotive companies, even in the premium space right now, Davide, and they will say, oh, of course, we want to be part of the digitization movement. We want to be part of self-drive. So we want now our vehicles to feel like mobile living rooms and you can have a swivel chair and you can talk to people in the back seat. So are there things which are goes and and no-goes when you think about the design language there? Well, the the no-goes are the things that are going to go against our values. Again, our values, I I keep going back, but it's true. I mean, every... um, document or strategic document we have, every product initiative or brand initiative or execution or investments discussion we have, they always start with our values, which again are innovative by nature, powered by passion and unique by design. And we really stick to those. 
So we're not gonna do things that are going against that. So power speaks to performance. We are not gonna do a low performing car. Let me give you an example of the choices we made. Low performance means, you know, it's centered around speed and comfort. It is balanced, this unique balance, which is really unique of Maserati, of high speed and high comfort, has always been at the center of the brand since its inception and birth 106 years ago with the three Maserati brothers. Always has been there. We're not then, you know, if you look at the plug-in hybrids, the plug-in hybrid platform doesn't really allow for a Maserati car to be close to the ground and have a central balance that will allow the classic Maserati driving experience, which is speed and comfort and balance. So it's a no-go. We're not, you, you won't see plug-in hybrids coming from Maserati. Only fully electric in our Folgora range, which we are very excited coming out next year, early next year. Uh, and you're going to have combustion hybrids, mild hybrids engine, which is something that we just recently launched with a Ghibli. And next month, we're going to have the version for Levante. Going back to the lineup, and when you say low performance, that people might obviously think they jump too small. They think about maybe some platforms that could be in more of the extended part of your family. Is, is there also something on, on scale as well? Because there is a, a customer that you're going to have to speak to in a European city. And, uh, and so, again, do you see that, okay, yes, you've got these core values, Davide, but uh, is there a place that you're going to have to jump to? And maybe you can't sort of give away any secrets here, but how small, how nimble, still with performance can you go? Or is that also a place you say, if you want that, you need to go to another Italian manufacturer? Oh, that's, a, that's a great question, Tyler. And it goes back to the changing consumer values, right? To the new luxury consumer. So uh, never before, uh, you know, the same size matters has been more relevant. The vision before for the classic um, luxury consumer was, you know, smaller cars are by definition not luxurious. You know, you can see how, the, how also in, uh, in electronics that actually was a trend and then kind of completely reversed. So, you know, we, we the upcoming launch of the Gracale, we actually entering what it's called in the industry white space, which is basically an offering for a customer and for a size of cars that we didn't have in the range which is the so-called DUV, it's a medium-sized SUV with the Gracale that we're unveiling in September. And we're going to start deliver, you know, a couple of months later. And that's a car where uh, it's an absolute uh, state-of-the-art Maserati. And actually, it's a new breed of car because it's been designed around the driver in a very innovative way. And it's absolutely performing and providing the comfort and luxury that the Maserati does without having to be a five meters plus length in a long car. It's a smaller version. So it's much more suitable and versatile for urban environment, particularly in Europe or in, in, in Asia, for example. So when you think about growth, and you mentioned uh, Asia right there. So when I think of places where I see lots of Maseratis, I think about the streets of Tokyo. I mean, we know that, of course, Japan and, and certainly the accumulation of wealth in Tokyo in particular is such an interesting, quite peculiar market. And, and that's just not just vehicles. That's across the premium spectrum. I think about my walk to work this morning here in Zurich. A lot of Maseratis in this market, both vintage and new. So your challenge, of course, being at the helm of this company, but also a respected marketeer, is it building on, on the core markets where you exist? That's kind of, you know, that's maybe the easy bit you're able to springboard. Or do you also see fresh opportunities as well, where you can, where you can go in with a completely new lineup, 
people who maybe aren't converted, who don't really know the vehicle, and also build from there? So how's, how's the strategy going to look as you start to grow this, Davide? Maserati is a global brand. I mean, in, in terms of, I mean, literally, you know, if you look at our revenues, they're evenly spread across the four continents. You know, if I look at Asia, if I look at Europe, if I look at North America, and the brand response we get is very similar. Uh, you know, Maserati, to be a luxury brand, is a very inclusive brand, meaning that there is virtually no one that would say, well, I, I'm not, I'm not going to drive a Maserati, which sometimes you do have, particularly when you talk about super luxury or super sports brands. Some people are, are, are get are almost intimidated, but there's a Maserati for every type of need, particularly now with the launch of the Recale. So as we do that, I see a land of opportunity uh, for the brand to continue to drive this timeless and universal set of Italian values coming from what very, very, very few brands have, let alone in automotive, which is more than 106 years of, of history which is being widely recognized. One of the things that is said that, you know, markets like Japan or Switzerland, for example, which are markets that are very keen on design and are very sensitive to iconic design and iconic brands, we have a tremendous success and a tremendous resilience as a brand. So we are, um, and we're getting already with the, with the confirmation of this, with the incredibly strong pre-orders of the MC20 that we launched last year from all over the world. So we see opportunities because if you look at that space, there's not a lot of choices for customers that want to have a luxury and innovative driving experience that Maserati can provide. So we believe that there is space for us to expand our presence and our desirability across the globe pretty evenly. This is maybe a big question to, to end on, but and I think we could we could probably devote a whole documentary to it if we if we wanted to. But this is about brand stretch, and this is a little bit about how far can you go. Maybe people could look at this somewhat cynically, and they think, okay, they bring David Grasso, they bring him over from Nike. Therefore, this is going to evolve into a whole galaxy of different brand uh, extensions. Now, of course, you think about the power of the brand. Of course, you think about there's the deep pockets that are all over the world, and people's minds can go crazy when they think of, oh yeah, I, I can take the values of Maserati, Italy, and I can sort of see that that this could be a whole Lido, and it could be a, a beach club in Qatar if if, if it wanted to be as much as we could turn this into a chain of cafes uh, in in Japan. Are you sort of there, not to say, certainly say no, but again, are there some pretty high walls that you've erected in terms of what Maserati can be, how much stretch there is, or even does it just need to stick to actually being a company focused on mobility and not a hotel group? It's another quick question. You're right. We could spend an entire day or, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, even more than one day to talk about this. Uh, we could have a, probably a convention about it. But um, going back, to, so, um, you know, it, it allows me to answer to your question in, 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 two, in two steps. The first one is actually to uh, share something that you and I talked about, but I haven't shared in, in this chat we had, which is it was a deliberate, uh, it says a, a little bit about the, the changing mindset of, um, for sure, of the of the larger company I'm part of, which is uh, Stellantis and before that FCA, but also the changing nature of the customer, which is also changing a notoriously insular industry, which is, uh, you know, historically at least, has been automotive. So I was high with the, you know, for three specific reasons. One is my connection and experience in connecting with customer, with the consumer. Really start from there. 
Second is, you know, link and, and having managed the brand globally. And third is also because of the speed of the change that I experienced over 25 years, which is extremely fast from, you know, if you think about it, the customer for, uh, you know, the core customer is a 17 years old and how much they change every three years, you know, and how could that be applied to Maserati and also kind of the diversity of experience that I was bringing also fits in with a very diverse mindset that there is inside FCA first and now Stellantis. The second part of your question is, you know, about Maserati and Bremen, I'm also bringing 25 plus years of having grown 15 folds a brand by growing from the core. I can challenge anybody to have found uh, in these last 25, 30 years a Nike fragrance, a Nike perfume, a Nike hotel, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So this idea of authenticity and focus and the ability to grow from the core is really a direct consequence of the brand strength. And so, you know, I wouldn't hold my breath to kind of see a Maserati cafe or a Maserati magazine. Actually, one of the things that we continue to kind of um, keep a close eye on is uh, a rebalancing and a fine tuning of all the different merchandising and licensing universe that gravitates around uh, brands like Maserati. So we're definitely managing that very tightly and in a focus manner. I think all lovers of, of premium and uh, and certainly Maseratis are, are breathing a great uh, sigh of relief uh, right now, Davide. And finally, on a sunny day at the end of uh, Q1, how are you feeling, Davide, uh, when you look across uh, the year ahead, knowing the, the year that uh, you, you've just lived through now? Uh, what's your mood? Uh, my mood is upbeat. Uh, it's recognizing that we are coming from a very difficult, the world is coming from very difficult 13 months and it's not going to be, it's going to be bumpy for at least a few more months. Um, you know, in some part of the world, it's going to be still bumpy for a little longer and some other, uh, a little less. Despite all this, I feel that as humans, we all get over this challenge. I think a new sense of hope and audacity uh, in terms of going towards life with probably higher, higher aspirations and higher energy will be pervasive. And as it relates to Maserati, yes, <laughs> it's been a very interesting. I joined the, the company a little less than two years ago, and the first six months were building the, the, the business plan and the relaunch plan, and then we got into the, you know, the, into COVID state. So it was uh, more challenging than planned. However, as always, um, they say, you know, never lose a good crisis. Uh, the last 14 months have made us stronger, sharper, more nimble and faster. So we're actually ready to navigate this year of the turning point for us. And actually we're on plan and we're uh, ready to accelerate towards uh, the end of the year to then um, take off as we hope the entire world will do next year. My thanks to Davide Grasso, CEO of Maserati, for joining us for this week's episode of The Chiefs and helping us wrap up our series on travel and hospitality. Next week, we go back to where this series began and look to the future of healthcare with Novartis CEO Vas Narasimhan. This episode of The Chiefs was produced and researched by Paige Reynolds and edited by Jack Jurors with the assistance of Desiree Bentley. I'm Tyler Brulé. Thanks very much for listening. <laughs>